there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. Uh, really fun racing. Hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from APU. See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. That's the great thing about sport. Make it rain. Make make it rain. You play to win. It is. I mean, that's that's our sport. So, toughen up, train harder, and get in that pack and make it rain. Make it rain. Make it make it rain. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ajay, wrong one. Yeah, get the Zach Ketterson one. No, the, the file three down. No, not that one. No, not that one either. Gosh. Need a new interim producer. Yeah, that one. That one. What builds mental toughness is confidence. It's doing the hard workouts. We're talking about practice, man. Week after week, effectively, and using those hard workouts to train. That's the great thing about You get paid for 82. You play to win. Stings the nostrils in a good way. No! And I don't care if you don't have any win. No! You go play to win. Yo, I had to wait till my dad fell asleep so I could steal his keys. You ready? I was born ready. They don't pay you to play 70. They pay you to play 82. They call me the freak, man. You know what kind of stamina you gotta be? You know what kind of shape you gotta be? You know what's gotta be in your heart? I'm a freak of nature. To play 82? First of all, skis need wax. 60% of the time, it works every time. Get some facts and come back and see me. Boy, that escalated quickly. You know, honestly, I just, I wanted the 1500 mile <laughs> to be my event. Oh, good for you. That does make sense. You know, it's like the whole point of running is like to test the limits of the human body. Striving to be better. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. You see today, just keep your eyes glued to the TV. All right, everyone, welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, the 15th largest and fastest growing Nordic ski podcast in all of the world here on planet Earth. I am your host, Ryan Cedarquist. So thrilled to be here with you all. And um, this show today, it's a special one because what I think it shows is we are listening to you, the listeners. Um, You know, on Apple Podcasts, where I believe we are engaging probably close to 15.9 people weekly or monthly. Actually, the listenership has gone up exponentially. We're on like literally a 1,000% increase. So if, if you are now hopping on the bandwagon, uh, it's, getting, it's getting crammed. Uh, you know, it's the, the popularity is insane. But my point I was going back to is on the Apple podcast, the Apple podcast, similar to the YouTube, I know, I sound like a boomer. Sorry, boomers out there. No, that was, edit that out. Edit that out now. Ajay, what do you mean you don't know how to edit it? Click the the rewind. Okay, I guess we can't edit that out because we're live on Shovel Lake Public Radio. Um, Where was I going? Oh yeah, Apple Podcasts. We got a comment once and it was something along the lines of, this show had some potential. Ryan Cedarquist talks way too much on it. it he rambles. The rambling dissertations are old. Uh, but the, the, one of the, you know, the old episodes, like where he talked to Zach Caldwell about skis, that was helpful. Um, and for the record, we have recorded hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of episodes of the Cedar Skier podcast since the spring of 2020. And our first episode was like a four hour monster 
with Zach Caldwell and we talked about every single brand and all the ins and outs and it was it was awesome and we posted it and apparently for that one guy the Cedar Scare podcast has been going downhill ever since then um but we're coming back now we got Jacob Hughesby on the line and Hughesby is the sales manager for enjoywinter.com let me say it. yes the US sales manager for enjoywinter.com and so they have all this, they have some interesting products by the way if you're familiar with enjoywinter.com Andy Gerlock is the enjoywinter.com guy, and he's also the intersection point for like a gazillion different stories in the Nordic ski world. So um, uh, Jacob has a connection there, obviously, with Andy as well, working alongside him with all these interesting products on enjoywinter.com. I'm I'm really fascinated by the gloves. I'm, I'm a little bit of a glove nerd. I'm a little bit of a ski pole nerd too. So I am kind of fascinated by the 4CAD ski poles, and we get we talk about that. Uh, 4CAD poles on this show. Um, and and it'll be interesting if you like are a real tech nerd, maybe go back and listen to our other episode where we talked to Annie Liebner about United States Ski Pole Company poles because a little bit of the conversation, you know, around poles there. And and I like I like geeking out about that. I also like the gloves though. You gotta go on enjoywitter.com and peruse the gloves. I think that's something they do really well is like all these different brands. Well, all their brands really, they always they try to find like, you know, the the brand in footwear, the brand in poles, the brand in gloves, glasses, like all these things that are like kind of doing the best, and then they gather them all on this one website. Um, ski wax too, and and so it's kind of great. Ski wax. Speaking of ski wax, that's what we spent a lot of time on this show talking about. So Jacob, he got to go over to the World Cup and um, basically go and spy on all the different wax cabins. Not exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob's gonna be like, "What on earth are you doing to introduce this? Introduce this show." Sorry, a lot of energy. Afternoon mocha. Getting ready to go skiing. I'm getting excited. Um, so I won't try to introduce it too much. But but Jacob has gotten to meet a lot of different people who know how to make skis fast. And on this show, he shares some of the things he's he's learned. So that's really what you got to know. Um, was there something else I was going to mention? Uh, before I get to the interview we have. Oh, we we took out, you know, the beginning, Jacob and I kind of asked him a few questions about his background into skiing. We did take we did take that out just for length. We, we wanted to keep it relatively short, so I did bump that out. If you're curious about his background, it is kind of interesting. I'm, I love people who have gotten into the sport because they love skiing and they like to get people excited about skiing and give people great experiences on skis. Jacob's definitely one of those guys, so you'll have to reach him out and be like, hey, I heard that you you know shared you know your background story and I want to know what it is because the Cedar Skier podcast deleted that portion of the interview. Um, and sorry, we just, we had to, we had to take some things out. We had to clip and cut and some things end up on the cutting room floor. That's what I've been told. You needed to start doing that in your writing. I've been trying to do that in my writing as well. But those of you who know me too well, you know that the word count keeps escalating. Okay. So I think that's it. Let's get to it. We're going to hop right in to this interview with Jacob Hughesby of enjoywinter.com. Enjoy. I'm now the head coach, uh, head coach for the program that gave me my start. I'm in my seventh year of coaching. I'm approaching year four, uh, working as the sales manager with enjoywinter.com, importing 14 different brands of Nordic equipment to the U.S. Uh, I've paid a visit to the World Cup twice now, uh, worked a few national championships, waxed, waxed for uh, different teams now. Um, and it's all been, it's all been really cool. It's all been really fun. I think that's interesting. And, and even like, 
you know, I'm kind of curious skiing out. It, it kind of captures us in unique ways. Like some people I think are really drawn to the kinesthetic, the movement patterns and all that. Some people really like the training aspect. Some people really like the chemistry side of like, you know, I, at least I call it the chemistry side, like the, the uh, crazy scientist side where the, the people who are just making skis fast. And, and you seem like, you know, that's obviously where the, sort of the arena you're working now. It, was that always a passion or did that just kind of come in like, this is my opportunity and oh heck yeah, I really like this side. Because I know for some people that's like a frustrating aspect, you know, to skiing too. It's like, ah, yeah, my skis weren't good today or they didn't work. And like, you know, you're, you kind of have a special gift that we all wish we had. <laughs> I don't know about, I don't know about gifts or anything, but <laughs> I do, I do like a lot of the technical aspects of, of Nordic skiing. I think one of the things that initially drew me to the sport was how challenging it was. Um, and, and then for me, taking up, taking up ski preparation and waxing and, and learning about ski manufacturing and all these different things, um, for me, it's, it's, I, I think the more I learn, the less I know. Uh, sure. And, and so I, I saw, I see opportunity where there is a, an absence of quality information available. You go online or you, you look at a lot of these books and either the information isn't current or online there's a lot of incorrect information and this information is really dispersed. Um, so, so when we talk about ski preparation and ski tuning, um, it's, it's really hard to find good information. And, and so for me, uh, uh, one, one like very narrow aspect of the sport that I enjoy is, is, that is, is ski preparation and learning from other people and learning from um, learning from the, the Finns, learning from from various coaches that I talk to and asking them questions and going into a beginner mindset every day. Um, even though I've, I've spent a bit of time bit of time learning about it, um, dude. That's but, that's what it's about, though, man. And I think some people, yeah, going in humble. And I know you've got some like really sick stories we got to talk about, and you've been over. Over the overseas, done some World Cup visits. You gave me some great insider info for the opener in Ruka, which hopefully, if you were listening to Ski and Snowboard Live, you caught that. Uh, that was that I loved it, and uh, and actually, what you just said, where it's like incorrect information. The the one th- uh, the one thing I remember when I took a trip to Norway and I was with Linsky that club and we went we raced the the Birken. I'm in the wax room with all these guys. They're prepping Ski Classics team skis. And I noticed they were they, they took their scraper and they were just going in every direction with the scraper, just back and forth, no matter what. It was just they were just, you know, like getting the wax out. And I'm like, wait, aren't you not supposed to do that? And this guy just looks at me and he's like 70 years old. He's like, he kind of was definitely the leader of all the people in there. He's just like, it's all voodoo science. And I was like, yeah, okay, that describes everything. Like, there you go. It's, yeah, it's all it's all voodoo science. It's all well, I, I think um <laughs> I, I get shown a lot of like really interesting things uh, by by old timers and and by newcomers and you know I, I whenever I see something that's like you know I don't know a lot of the new stuff that's come out like the thin film applications where where you take the fleece roller um, or or the other day I had I had someone you know dead dead face tell me it's like oh yeah I just hit my skis with a metal scraper tip to tail and then I go ski on that. And, and I just have to be like, Hey man, whatever works, you know, it is voodoo, <laughs> it is voodoo magic science. Um, and, and it's, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to whatever works for you, whatever makes your skis fast, which is why testing is so important at the top level, because 
on any given day, nobody has the answer when they first wake up in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think what makes a great tech is, is knowing is knowing that you have to test and then sticking to your process, sticking to your process. So, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. Talk about, talk about that trip you took. Uh, I think it was Ruga, right? Over to Finland. I mean, talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned to me either too, like you, you want an eight hour drive. You talked four hours about wax stuff. I'm sure there was a lot of gold nuggets in there. You could maybe share with us, but, but yeah, like why you were there, what you did, what you learned kind of a thing. So the, the, this season was my second time going okay. over to Finland to wax with the Start Ski Wax crew. Okay. Um, the guys from Start are based in Halala, Finland, which is just a quick drive outside of Lati, which is in like the southern tip of Finland. If you think of like Helsinki, um, you can take a train. It's like you know an hour away from from Helsinki, um, and then from Lati to Kusamo. Uh, is about an eight-hour drive, <laughs> which the first year I went with them, it was it was myself, uh, Hari, and Esko, and so it was three like you know decent big big guys um, all crammed in the front of a, a Volkswagen transporter van, so it was pretty cozy, so to speak. It was pretty <laughs> cozy on the way up. Um, this time around, we were down Hari because. Uh, the the uh, Sport Expo ISPO was in Munich, uh, and it was earlier than ever this year. So he had to be there. Um, so it was just Esco and I. We were down one English speaker, and between Esco and I, on the way up to Ruka this year, we yeah we spent probably four or five hours just talking about ski prep, and on the way back, we spent probably another four hours talking about ski prep. The other four hours, we were cracking jokes. Like, I guess there was this thing like in 2015. Um, just one of the jokes. Uh, in 2015, I guess uh, the Finnish government was spray painting uh, fluorescent paint on reindeer antlers uh, <laughs> because people were running over so many reindeer. Oh um, There's this theory. This is a theory that that some guys were running over the reindeer on purpose uh, because they're privately owned, and so they would get the insurance money for oh their gosh. car and the reindeer venison so like interesting i mean it's hilarious it's <laughs> hilarious you can google it uh, it was a thing i think for like one or two years interesting. um and so I, i'm not sure why they stopped doing it but maybe they, they found out it didn't work too well um but so like that's that's you know and then um i don't know talking we we have a shared fascination for grocery stores actually years and years ago i used to work at a costco and I mentioned this to, to Esco, and he's like, oh, yeah, we have, you know, these grocery store chains. We talked about Finnish grocery stores for probably an hour and a half of that drive and, and how there's, like, a grocery store conglomerate that, like, owns everything uh, out there. Um, and so we kind of nerded out on, on that. Can you, like, get food there? Yeah, I feel like uh, sometimes it's – that was one thing I really took for granted. And when I was in Norway even, like, Lillehammer and Oslo, it's like – Oh my gosh, like where's just like a easy walk-in grocery store? You know, like grocery stores, gas stations, Walmarts. Dude, Americans are kind of spoiled that way because like you can buy stuff for cheap and you you just walk in and find it. And like, I don't know, the grocery store in Norway I went to was just bizarre. And like, maybe that's just because, you know, you're, it's foreign too. So it's just going to be different foods. But yeah, what's what's Finland's grocery store situation like? Do you walk in and everything's just like all one color? Isn't it all like white food? Like that's, that's the stereotype. No, no, it's, I mean, I had fun. I had I'm I'm comfy, you know, shopping around in, in uh, okay. the grocery store there. But like, I don't know. I was in I was in uh, um, 
Hey, I was in a cable Hayward the other week and they have the Walmart up there and I needed like a combination of two. I needed like a putty knife. I needed, uh, because my, my various tools have been uh, tactically acquired from my wax box when, <laughs> when working with various groups. Like okay. I had a stack of nice, like sharp scrapers and they happened to walk away on me and a yeah. putty knife and, and, uh, I still got to get my Milwaukee batteries back. But so I'm in the Walmart and I'm like, well, put a lot of miles on my Subaru. I need motor oil. I need putty knives. <laughs> I need epoxy to put together uh, some, you know, uh, uh, re-laminated pair of skis uh, in the tails, and then also like some granola bars. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I'm like, oh yeah, American grocery store. Like you can you can go get tires and ice cream. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. And over there, it's like no, you go to a grocery store, you get food, um, and <laughs> you get mm. food. And then, like, something weird about Wisconsin is, like, you go to, you know, you can get liquor or whatever the same. I mean, I don't drink that much, but it's something that I, I notice. Um, oh, you, Wisconsin, man. Separate liquor stores. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, we talked about we talked about grocery store conglomerates, and then um, the, the week there uh, is kind of an interesting experience. I think a lot of people, when they think of, like, working on the World Cup, they think of, like, for a national team which is you know definitely like why everyone is there i mean it's right. it's like you're there for the races but um kind of you know one aspect of uh, uh that that isn't really ever highlighted is actually working on the industry side of things because when, when you get there there's a uh, the main village of trailers and and buildings where where the teams are waxing but okay. down on the lower side there's a smaller village, a smaller village that is like, oh, here's Fisher, here's Solomon, here's Swix, here's Start, here's Vauti. Um, here's like all the, the mini supplier cabins where teams will go, athletes will go, you know, get their boots adjusted or, or like the Fisher cabin. We actually bought a bunch of Fisher skis uh, from them. And I learned you can buy like a pair of used World Cup skis for like 150 euros. What? Uh, yeah, right? So, like, we're in the, and these, all these used skis were actually um, Evo Niskanen reject skis. So, they all said Niskanen on them, and they were like 150 euros a, pe- a pair. And I'm like, what? Like, they're just like his rejects. I should have I should have brought like 1,500 euro with me and bring them back. Okay, well, um, hold on a second. When we are uh, going offline right now, inner producer in the back to stop the press, right? You need how many of these do you have, and are you going to sell them to me directly? No, I you, don't have any. I didn't bring it back any. But, you didn't bring um, it. Oh my! This is a, that's well, like so, the sickest thing ever. Oh my gosh! Though. Yeah, Evo Niskanen and reject skis, one hundred and fifty yeah, bucks. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, regularly, they'd sell the world. You know, they're like four hundred euro. That's what they were selling them. Uh, the the other skis to us for, um, like. And they were just going back to Halala uh, to be sold at like the local sporting goods shop run by Jeez. one of the start guys. Dude, that's um, Sorry, I kind of inter- interrupted you though because I was. No, no, no. You, you started describing me. I was like, I mean, I, I kind of got excited too when I learned like, <laughs> oh, I can get a pair of re- reject skis for. You know, they're, they're probably fast enough. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's. Here. Yes, let's be honest. Come <laughs> on, and yeah, just like get a few of those, test out some random grinds with those. I mean, was or was there anything visibly like? I mean, I, I assume a reject ski is just—it's a very fine-tuned thing. It's not like, oh, gee, there's a gouge in this, or like it's coming apart, or you know, anything like that, right? I mean, <laughs> a reject ski yeah. for them would be something that's like the best ski you could probably buy off the shelf at Gear West or something. I don't know. I, I yeah. I mean, it's, 
you know, the, the reject skis for these guys, it may just be like they got on them and they weren't feeling it. Yeah. Um, yeah. To be inside of the mind of a World Cup skier, I, I cannot relate, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but but what I can say is uh, skis, skis have a lot of variety to them. So on that trip, I'll kind of skip around a little bit. On that trip, I got to go and visit the Peltonen Ski Factory for the second time uh, ever. Oh, did we awesome. have to talk some Peltonen? So yeah, I, I'm curious on yeah. this for sure. Go ahead. Uh, so I'll, I'll just kind of jump ahead in the trip here. On the last yeah. couple of days I was there, um, I got to visit the factory, the Peltonen factory, for the second time. The first year I went, I was just kind of given a brief tour. Like, I got walked around a bit and, and shown, like, oh, here's a ski press. Here's a this. Here's a this. And it was kind of, like, quick and dirty. This time around, um, I actually got to meet with the uh, – I want to say the product manager for – Peltonen and ask about like what's the future of Peltonen looking like yes because now this time at this time around at that point um there were talks of enjoy winter importing Peltonen to the U.S. and and now it is official Peltonen is going to be distributed through enjoy winter um for North America which is pretty sick uh because there are a lot of guys who are like, oh, yeah, I raced on those in the 80s and 90s, and they're coming back. And, and a lot of people, especially here in the Midwest, are excited about it. Um, but ski factory, ski manufacturing is really, really interesting to me because there's a lot of um, variation in the manufacturing process and a lot of opportunities for error. Um, to, to start, uh, ski manufac- skis are made basically from like fancy cardboard, fancy glue, fancy plastic, and, and a bunch of extra stuff, uh, uh, all layered together and then put into a giant oven. And then you take the, the basically the giant cookie, you know, the yeah. giant, and, and you cut off the edges and then you put it through a grinder, uh, put a layer of wax on it and, and, and Bob's your uncle, you know, uh, yeah. for, for some factories, they, they source, they bring in their materials, uh, from the outside. Some factories, they make their own materials. Um, in the, in the case of Peltonon, I walking through the factory, there were just stacks and stacks of different base materials, cores. There were these uh, uh, machined aluminum forms that they made uh, for a, a shorter and wider ski just for the North American market, Just kind of neat. Um, what, are they saying we can't balance or what? What's the, what, guy, what is that, an insult? Shorter and wider. Come on. That's, that's what, that's what uh, American consumers are asking for. <laughs> so, I, hey, man, I, you know, I'm, all right, all right. I mean, customer's always right. So, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, no, but uh, it's really interesting. So you take all these different layers and you have a human being stand at a bench and put down the base and then put down another layer. Uh, roll on a layer of glue, put down another layer, and then put on the top sheet. And then they take that finished piece, and then they'll put it up in this giant long oven. And this oven has, like, probably 20 bolts all along it where you adjust it with an adjustable wrench. You you turn these bolts with a wrench mm-hmm. um, to to uh, adjust how much pressure each, each bit of the uh, oven basically puts on the okay. uh, ski. Which is uh, really kind of kind of neat. <laughs> it's kind of neat because you, you think of all the possibilities for error. You have the material properties. You have variation in the materials itself because we're using wood here. We're using Nomex, and there's variation in materials. You have variation in the human hands. You have variation in the press itself, um, and all all of these present opportunities for for skis to come out weird and come out different. 
Right. Um, and, and, and then you have the grinding process. And so in all these steps, there's, you know, even if there's like a one in one million chance, you know, let's say you have 50 steps. Right. Uh, one in one million race the 50, that's, that still is a good chance for, for error um, in any, any ski manufacturing. Hey, on that, uh, I, I thought like uh, Modzus, I toured the Modzus factory, and I thought like some of the pro- steps you're talking about, like they had this super dialed in machine that was smashing the, I think the core, you know, between the the base and the top, like it, it, it and like so they were typing in like to down to the thousands some of those pressures. I don't remember as many like human beings doing some of those steps it was all like very computerized or did you see some of that too at the pelton factory and maybe i'm like missing some of that too no 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 well so the way that matsu skis are made is different from any other any other company okay um okay. they're using foam cores right. and, and and a lot of machinery in fact there's some really slick videos on their on their youtube i think Okay. Um, of of all the machines, all the mechanical arms that are in the process there, uh, I still think there's a good amount of variation in the process because I have noticed there there's a good amount of variety in the Matsu skis themselves. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's actually uh, it just goes to show how much variation there is in the manufacturing process because you take something like the Matsu skis where they have foam cores and they have machines doing a lot of the work and yet there's still such a great variety in the in the skis at the end of the day um what comes off the line right so so and that's nothing uh, to say the the imprint like zach caldwell talked a lot about like everyone's got their own kind of fingerprint from a biomechanic standpoint and that interaction with a ski i think that's almost the most important thing honestly it seems like because like where you're where your different angles are are exerting a pressure on a ski is going to be different from person to person and then different from ski to ski. So then that person to ski relationship is by consequence, you know, a variety. Like some people do kind of like the snappy feel of a Majus or the rigid feel of a Fisher. I, I think a lot of it is tied to that, I would assume as well. You know, in addition to all the stuff you're describing, we're like, dude, even every single ski coming out is going to have variation because of all the steps and possibilities for error. It sounds like that's kind of what oh, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and yeah. To correct for that error, you have the race room. You have a human being taking skis and matching them based on their, their characteristics. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in the variation in the skis themselves, we, we talk about um, skis being different designed for different skiers. Some people like to skid uh, and some people like to step. Some people like a really, torsionally rigid ski some people like one that flexes a little bit more yeah um different degrees of of tip splay some people like a really low riding ski some people like a really uh like a higher camber ski um a lot of it comes down to personal preference and and one's individual skiing style i i kind of have a more active skiing style rather than a long long glide i kind of like to stay on top of it a bit with a higher tempo and so that's just my personal preference and then instead of skid turns i'll do step turns so for me when i'm picking a pair of skis that's what i that's what i think about actually um to get really like kind of nerdy here we're gonna get really nerdy um (laughs) my my favorite question to ask these guys uh when i when i was over there was what do you look for in a pair of skis it's a really open-ended question and i don't i don't really give them any lead in i just say when you pick up a pair of skis and you squeeze them together what are you looking at and and I got a different answer from a lot of people. And I really wish um, I don't know. Maybe I'll send you a video of me squeezing a pair of skis to like talk through like what I look for in a pair of skis now. But one of the very first answers I got for for the vast majority of skis, whether it be a cold or universal ski, probably speaking, um, when you squeeze the skis, 
and you're looking at the contact zones, uh, having a continuous contact zone is like a really quick thing that you can check. So you hold it up to the light and you see if there's any light peaking between um, in the contact zones. Uh, if it's continuous, that may be an indication that it's a good set of skis. Whereas if it's if it's broken up um, and there's there's perhaps some light coming through that uh, contact zone, that may be an indication um, that that it would be uh, good for wetter conditions. That's just one aspect hmm. of it. Uh, other aspects would be like looking at uh, uh, length of the contact zones. In fact, whenever you see the marketing pictures of guys squeezing skis and looking at the front half of the skis, it kind of I don't know. I have a little you know, it's kind of funny to me because the back half of the skis are actually the more important part, <laughs> but it's not as cool looking to be looking at the back half of a pair of skis in the marketing sure. pictures. Sure. Um, there's going to be a lot more variation in the length of the contact zone on the back half of, of a ski versus the front half, for instance. Um, and, and that's really where a lot of your weight is going to be. So, so if you're looking for one part of the ski, uh, you know, if I were given the choice between picking my skis just based on the back half or the front half, I'd pick the back back half every day of the week. Um, back half, at least for gliding performance. For gliding performance. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we can go on. I, uh, uh, you know, so I got a different answer from each guy. I, I, I asked the guys from Start. I asked the guys at Peltonon, um, and, and uh, everyone had their own their own definition for what makes a good set of skis. What were some of the um, other ones that kind of stuck st- stood out to you then, or surprised you, or yeah, were illuminating as far as those responses go? Yeah, I, I mean, so I, at first I was told, oh yes, so if there's any light peaking between the uh, the, the contact zones, um, well, I, I should take a step back when I when. When I received these answers, I, this is an example of a conflicting answer that I got from two different guys. Um, you know, I didn't just ask the Pelton guys and the Stark guys, but I've, I've received a bunch of different conflicting answers for what people think are our best skis. So there really isn't, I don't think there's really one best definition of what makes a, a good pair of skis. And I think that's a healthy mindset to approach when when taking advice from others. Is I will listen. I will listen to what these you know everyone has to say. But but uh, I don't think there's one one final truth when it comes to the matter. I'm sure there are some things that are absolutely true, but not everything is like set in stone. It's more like a it's set of skis. It's all information, in other words, kind of like I guess that's my approach to some of that stuff. When you hear conflicting stuff, it's like this is all information. You know, like it's not, it's a, it's a, there might be some paradox. There might be some things that kind of seem contradictory, but in the end, there's some truth in everything that someone's probably saying. Like it's all. And, and there's a bit of voodoo magic, you know? Exactly. I mean, exactly. There's a bit of voodoo magic. So, so yeah. like as an example, when I was talking about the, the connected contact zones a minute there um, and saying, oh, this may be an indication of this, this may be an indication of that. Well, another piece of advice I received was, well, if there's any sort of gap uh, in, the, in the contact zone where it makes contact and then loses contact and light peaks through and then makes contact again, that's that's a sign of a not, not a good ski. But I, I brought this up to one of the other guys, and he said, well, there are exceptions, of course. If you think about a wet ski, um, the, the job of, of ski preparation, um, if I were to distill it down into very simple terms, is creating moisture and managing moisture. So when you apply wax to a ski, a harder wax does a better job of creating moisture, and a softer wax perhaps does a better job of managing moisture. 
you ever ski and it feels like sandpaper because it's so cold and dry or you ever feel right. like it's stopping wet and it's making like a vacuum seal the snow that's when there's not enough moisture or too much moisture um and, and so like we can think about like looking at a pair of skis and seeing a gap in the the contact zone that may be uh, sort of a, a place where the, the moisture can kind of break free and kind of prevents a, a vacuum from from uh, uh, forming, you know, where, where like a little air pocket, you know. Okay. So, so like when I say, oh, this isn't set in stone or anything, like there, I don't think there is one final answer for what makes a good set of skis. And a lot of it comes down to, to user discretion and experience. Um, uh, but so I received a lot of answers like that. Um, in the eyes of the Pelton guys, they, I squeeze their skis and they have a lot of tips plates in them. And they say it helps it float over the snow better. And I say, interesting. You know, I think, okay, um, do I know for certain if that makes them the best skis in, you know, around? Well, I haven't put them on snow yet. I've only used the test fleet skis that I got like a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Pelt- so- and as far as Pelton goes, I'm, I mean, maybe – this is probably a dumb, dumb thing to ask you because maybe you didn't ask them, but like, I feel like in the World Cup talk, and you mentioned it before. There's a lot of people who skied on them in the '80s and '90s. I've got many pairs of Pelton skis, but a lot of them are like on my wall as decor, you know. And like, um, I hear, I hear jokes. Devin Kershaw always makes fun of the Pel- Pelties, and like, seems like they're they don't have a presence on the World Cup, you know. And so, is this something where like? that is being reborn too like do you anticipate having chatted with them having seen um you know been right in the wax cabins and seen these these world cup athletes and visited the companies like oh pelton is gonna is they're gonna be back or or you know like is there something that they're doing that's different now and kind of relaunching and there's some hope for a a pelty hardcore guy that like that you know soon enough we'll see that resurgence or not that's a good question i think it um when whether or not we see skis in the World Cup comes down to a company's marketing strategy. Um, And certainly it helps that, like, Fisher makes good skis for the World Cup athletes. You know, it would be a really hard sell to to offer the the athlete a bunch of money but then give them skis that don't work. Um, You know, Uh, but but, uh, I I think it comes down to a difference in marketing strategy. Years and years ago, and uh, uh, one way, one way sponsored, like, 80-some World Cup athletes, and and then uh, within the past couple of years, they sold off the one-way brand to Fisher, and then the founder of one-way started a new company by the name of Forecat um, that that we're selling through Enjoy Winter. We're selling through Enjoy Winter, and the poles look not dissimilar um, to the old one-ways. And we've had people casually observe that, like, "Oh, these look like my one-ways." Well, it's because they're made by the same guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. and Back then, the, you know, it was sponsored like 80 athletes. Nowadays, I think they're sponsoring like under 10, under 10, right. you know, on, the, on that top level. Um, does that make the polls any worse or, or any, you know, less good? Well, no, they're the same polls that the athletes were competing on or better that the athletes were competing on years and years ago. Um, it just comes down to uh, the marketing strategy at that point. So for Fisher, they their storytelling, um, a lot of their storytelling um, is is sponsoring the World Cup athletes and, and getting helping them out. And Rozzy's doing a really good job um, with their athletes as well. They have the Rozzy uh, uh, guys sponsoring sponsoring many U.S. ski team athletes, which is pretty cool. And they'll go out and test skis and help the athletes out, I, I've seen on you know social media or whatever. Right. Um, Question on Peltonon. Uh, to get back to your original question, will Pelton, will we see more Peltonon skiers in the World Cup? 
Maybe. Uh, I asked the guys what's their strategy for the next couple of years, and and well, there's there's going to be some changes. Um, the Peltoninskis, they're gonna they're gonna keep the same logo, but they're gonna look a little different in the coming years here, and and maybe some new technologies are going to be introduced that I can't quite talk about yet. <laughs> um, well, so so yeah. kind of a funny thing with going to the factory uh, and meeting with meeting with the guy there. You know, I, I get in and. And he says, uh, yeah, we have some new technologies, but I can't show you that yet. I'm like, right. that's cool. That's yeah. fine. I get that. You know, we get that a lot. Like every company has their secret sauce, right? Yeah. And they want to keep it secret. And then like 30 minutes later, he's, he says to me, do you want to see the new skis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. I just started picking his brain a little bit on, on ski construction and, and uh, you know, won him over, and then we had lunch and everything. It was a good time. It was a good time. Got to see the Pelton and Ski uh, history. They have all the all the, the wall of skis and everything upstairs in their in their factory. And, um, yeah, got to. There's a there, In the, the product manager's office, there's a pile of cut-up skis in the corner from, from yeah. various companies yeah. um, doing, a, doing an analysis in the manufacturing and saying, we are going to do – we are going to go our own way and we're not going to try and emulate what other brands are doing. We're going to do our own thing and we're going to do it really well. So um, that's something I, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I felt like that was a little bit of the, my experience in Mazda's too, where like sometimes I feel like when, I mean, again, I've, I haven't been in all these factories, so I, I can't speak, but I feel like sometimes you hear this generalization that like, I think maybe the big guys like Fisher, Rozzy, Solomon, they're all kind of doing the same thing maybe. And, and they just have a lot of money. And so like you said, it comes down to marketing. If you're a regular Joe Blow, buying one of those skis is usually a pretty safe bet. It can't be a bad ski. You know, it's going to be <laughs> like Fisher has its pros. So does Solomon, so does Rozzy, but like generally they're good. And then Majus is certainly is one of those companies like you either love them or they don't work for you. And I'm wondering, you know, that seems to be something, a product of the fact that they're doing things unique. Like they're going, they're going their own way. They're going to do it really well. It's probably not going to work for everyone, but it might really work for some people. I mean, it's what's, what's the, or maybe you don't know this yet. Even like, what, what would you say is like the distinction for Peltonin? You, you mentioned the stuff like, you know, more splay and you know, maybe you have to update us after you test some of these, but did they kind of say, yeah, this is sort of the direction we're headed, like suiting a certain type of skier or specializing in a certain type of conditions. Like, yeah, curious. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I'll take a step back and look at the manufacturing once again here um, because I, you know, I can, I can talk all kind of, you know, good body nonsense about, about skis and, and like, oh yeah, this particular set of skis feels this way. And, yeah. and, and I don't think I could assign sign those values to like every ski that comes off the line. Sure. Um, and so I think what would be more informative, uh, and better description of what Peltonen is doing is, is they make every ski in that factory in Heinola, Finland. They make every ski there. Um, every one of their skis, if it says Peltonen on it, it's made there. If you look at, if you look at the global manufacturing, uh, uh, like situation for, for a variety of brands. Every, every ski company has their, like their A line and their B line, as far as I know, for the most part, for the most part, with some exceptions like Peltonen and uh, like even Matsus, they have their factory in Norway, but then they have factory, a factory elsewhere um, in, in Asia, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, I think Fisher, they, they do Austria and Ukraine, uh, West Ukraine, I believe. Um, for instance, so like instead of having an A line and a B line, they have every ski going off of the same line. And so when you look at the quality of the top end skis, the same 
amount of care in manufacturing, the same amount of care, the same amount of knowledge, um, and the same equipment is used on the top end skis as it is on the on the entry level stuff. Um, and, and I think that's something something that shouldn't be ignored um, for sure. Peltonen. Sure. Um, regarding the new technologies and regarding the skis, they have uh, uh, people that are working on the new stuff that that are really excited to to get it out there. And I think I think if you happen to see a pair of you know orange skis on a shelf in the next couple of years here, you should give them a shot. Dude, I definitely want to. I'm curious. And yeah. and you brought up the poles too. And um, you know, I've been using uh US ski pole company poles and and Andy's got a, like a really cool story and and, and I, I love it. I just kind of support him that way. I'm also kind of a pole nerd in general. You know, so I've received various poles for either winning races or had really good deals on them. So I've kind of gotten to taste a few. Yeah, I think which kind of helps you also, you know, coming back even if I like Hey Andy, pole like what yeah, yeah. it's like tasting Mm, yes, this one has a good, uh, very heady. You know, yeah, pull. I like this uh, grip, or I like how this one follows through. And I double pull a, a lot, you know. So it's like yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I noticed. But you know, you mentioned you brought it up quick, like the forehead one way thing. And I, I was gonna ask you about that question and kind of explain the history, but you already did it for me. But what I'm curious is, um, actually, even kind of like with one way, uh, what happened to them when when Fisher bought them? And now, yeah, you do see one way pulls out there. Are the forecad guys kind of like, yeah, those guys think they know what we're doing, but we kind of have the one-way genius with us. So that's just that's just out of the World Cup because Fisher's got a ton of money. Like the the the, the, the real pull is the forecad pull, you know? Or, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I can't really. I mean, there are so few. I mean, let me think. I don't think I can comment on what Fisher is doing or their strategy yeah. um, with their marketing. I I will acknowledge what is like publicly visible to everyone is that they went they bought they bought out the one-way brand and then changed the look yeah. of the one-way branding um for the better or for the worse i'm not sure um but but i will acknowledge like the polls look very similar and i imagine they they probably probably haven't changed factories um steeple manufacturing is actually really interesting and i i had the opportunity to ask um the guys at forkhead in, in Ruka, actually, um, about about how the poles are made. And, and through my experience with working with Start um, and, and like learning about the old SD3 poles, all the different ways that poles can be constructed, and it's, it's really interesting. Like the top end poles from us are made from, from 11 layers of Japanese carbon fiber, all kind of, they're all rolled around a mandrel, basically. And they're rolled in a specific way to achieve um, the desired uh, thickness and stiffness in the right directions. And this is how the vast majority of poles are manufactured today, where it's, it's layers of carbon fiber that are rolled around a shaped mandrel, um, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but my favorite poles, I think, um, of all time from years and years ago, but they never quite took off here in the U.S. like as much as we wanted them to, were the the start sd3s um and the way those were made is it was actually a 3d robotically wound carbon fiber so it had like these little arms that were like all around the mandrel and it would actually like weave the carbon fiber strands rather than sheets it used individual strands and would weave those strands together um but then like when we received them yet yeah, like it didn't really show the individual layers you actually had to like sand them a bit to like show off the layers 
so like that extra labor was a you know not not great and then instead of having a, a graphic like pre-printed on the poles they had a sticker that you had to like stick on around it yeah um but the poles were like crazy stiff they were like decently lightweight but they were like the most durable stiff race poles um they're as stiff as the stuff today but they were more durable i think that sure. was really the big difference. um and those those never quite took off but every once in a while i'll see a picture today of like someone still using them and it just puts you know it gives me a little little grin yeah well because like i i remember your yeah your guys old site you guys used to have some of those and i think gus schumacher had one so they don't make those anymore right start stopped making them so that's actually um that is an excellent question um start i don't think is is manufacturing them anymore okay what i will say about the start poles we aren't selling them in north america anymore um but i have been talking uh so since that this trip to Ruka this year, I've been exchanging WhatsApp messages with the start product manager, Esco, like okay. every day. We just, we keep sending each other jokes. Um, we have a running joke actually about Nazis, but I won't, I won't share that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't share that here. Um, but, but yeah, he and I will send, send each other like videos or like talk about like, I don't know, wax of the day. It's the most nerdy WhatsApp <laughs> yeah. in existence actually. Um, and, and we'll talk about little things like, specific production runs of waxes or, or whatever. Um, or like, Hey, can you make up this new test wax for me? Like I ran out of three, 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 zero, or I don't know. Or, or like, can you, can you get a premix of MFW red and MFW yellow clusters, <laughs> uh, made for, for the US ski team? Like I, uh, Oh yeah, sure. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. Can I get it to Estonia in like six days? Oh sure. My All right. Jeez. Um, <laughs> so like, I don't know. Uh, we, we, we talk a lot. We talk a lot. I, pro- I probably talk to the start guys more than any of our other brands. Um, cause, cause I do play favorites. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So like he, he, um, he said, yeah, when he, when he went to Ispo in Munich, um, I'm walking around the office now. When he went to ISPO in Munich, he said, yeah, I'm going to be looking at looking at suppliers for polls and, and testing the offerings, and he's working on working on some new stuff from start. But I think the plan for USA for now is continue with 4CAD and, and keep doing that because the 4CAD stuff is pretty cool. It has the twist-off baskets. The, pole, the straps and corks are all, like, recycled, um, and, and the poles are solid. I've, I have yet to break a pair, so that's... That's pretty good. I mean, I think <laughs> the four. The, the, are you, have you been using the best lightest four cab pole? Because I thought I was looking at the specs, and I I think they have the lightest stiffest pole right now. I thought probably. I, th- I think the height, I mean, you know, like the, the that ratio, or whatever. But I I thought I remember looking. Maybe the track is still lighter, or the, that ratio is different. But I thought I remember. Uh, yeah, looking at the forecast website, thinking, okay, this is the uh, this is the new Primo pole or whatever. But I mean, all those poles are kind of fragile. They're all really stiff. So yeah, I, mean, I don't think the black I don't think the black coat is all that fragile. Like I still use okay. it to coach with the juniors, and we'll play games, and, and I'll use those poles, which is like I probably shouldn't, sure. uh, but I do. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the weight or stiffness of a pole doesn't really matter when it's broken in half. So I <laughs> yeah. think I'll leave it there. Yeah. I think I'll leave it there. You know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you watch the at the bottom of um, Skidder at, at Nationals this year, I heard there was a pole graveyard. 
um, during the mass start. Yeah. During the mass start, there's a graveyard full of broken poles, which is a uh, which is pretty tragic, but uh, <laughs> a little funny. A little funny. Um, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of it is definitely a, a quite a topic for sure, and and I th- that's one thing you know even with Andy's polls like. Whatever, whatever people want to say about them, it's like I, I've like used and abused those things, you know, and like they are their uh, durability stiffness uh, ratio, whatever that is, you know, that you kind of bench is like that's one thing I can at least appreciate, uh, and then everything else from there, like you said, yeah, it doesn't do much good if it's kind of smashed, like um, no, no, if yeah. it's broken in half and it's on the side of a ski trail, and like I don't care how light it is, yeah, <laughs> that's just me. That's I mean, that's me. Um, and so if I'm using a pair of poles, I, I make sure they're stout enough um to to survive because well there's a bit of irony actually and and years and years ago you know before i started working for andy i would break poles fairly often because i i'm just clumsy and and i would roller ski a lot and and then as soon as i started working for andy and started selling poles like for work um i just stopped breaking poles like altogether and (laughs) it's been rough because i'm like oh geez now that i can you know like I have a steady supply of poles. I don't need them. Um, I don't. I don't need new poles because I don't. I don't break them that often. It's yeah, just, uh, it's kind of fun. <laughs> kind of fun. I, I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to circle back. One thing that we kind of veered away from. You, you mentioned at in Ruka how like hey some people don't realize this. There's like the team wax trailers. There's those sponsorship sip trailers. And you kind of started talking about like athletes might go wander into those uh, different trucks and get a boot adjusted or something like that. I'm curious what other things are actually going on. Like, and you said too, Rosie might be helping uh, pro pro athletes test stuff. When you were working with Start too, I think you had like some like even just stuff like wax recommendations. In my head, I was kind of thinking like, what good does that do? You know, aren't aren't the Norwegian wax techs? They're in their own locker doing their thing or in their own wax truck. Like they they're not going over to the Vauti truck or your truck and going, huh? What 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 do these guys recommend? Or do they? Do they kind of like? use that in their calculations i mean I, i'm curious kind of yeah like what's the relationship like between those brands trucks and what they're trying to do and then the team trucks and how they're trying to support athletes how does that like intermingle kind of work you know it's really funny that you mention um athletes wandering into the supplier trailers because <laughs> i kind of yeah. i mean i kind of wander into the national team trailers a little bit um <laughs> jokes aside uh on the industry side of things, it is yeah, it's a bit different than than working for a team in a lot of ways. Um, I guess the main the main thing, like when working with a supplier, our goal at the end of the day is to sell stuff, and so to do that effectively, um, we go out bright and squirrely in the morning to to go uh, test test our stuff, test uh, various new waxes and test product, which I can go on about that in a minute here. Um, like if you ever see a wax with just a number on it, that might be a test wax from us and we're bringing in a bunch of those. But so we go out and test bright and early in the morning and then we have a printer in the cabin, we print out results. And then, um, part of the adventure is going into every team's wax cabin and it's like never not awkward. I think at any level, um, because all these teams are trying to, trying to, you know, get the work done. They're, they're crazy, crazily fast testing and waxing and, and then you just kind of walk in and you're like the kid who farted in class. You know, they're looking at you like they're looking at you like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Um, and, and you just have to say wax, you know, wax recommendation. You drop off the recommendation. They say, OK, can I get 10 tubes of 10 tubes of this? Can I get 10 cans of this or 
you know, can you bring us this, um, you know, oh, okay, this tested well, the 4288 black liquid or whatever, can we, can we get this? Can we try this? Um, or they say, Hey, we'll come pay you a visit. And there'll be some teams that we spend more time talking to. Like, like I spent, spent more time talking to the Germans, um, than I did last year. Um, in fact, I think the t- like I spent more time talking to the Germans than I did the U S team, um, or the Swedes yeah, t- spent, spent a good amount of time talking to the Swedes and most trailers have someone who speak English, but ideally I, I, need to quit being so American and learn, um, and learn another language, learn how to speak German. Um, that that's kind of like, yeah, not good that I only speak English. So Dude, you're already, wanted... you already working in a tough enough environment though. You got enough, <laughs> like, it's already whacked. I, I can't imagine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you ignorant to... Midwesterner. I, no, I am English. so, I am really ignorant and, and I really should, um, and really should, really should learn, uh, how to speak German or something else other than english so i can i can fit in but, but maybe you, i'll learn how to speak finnish you know? but you're kind of going out and like fishing it sounds like then you know you go do the you go do the work bright and early and then it's okay here's our results all right guys all right boys go go out go out and walk up to to sell your girl scout cookies kind of things and then if and then you know some some groups might go yeah 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 we like that bring us more of that is that and and if they don't you know you just go to the next one kind of and go from there yeah, is that... i mean girl scout cookies taste better though yeah. you know <laughs> I, I feel like actually, I feel like more. We'd have better luck if we were just selling cookies and beer. Um, no, 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 I'm joking. But, but uh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, uh, going to the cabins is is always interesting. Um, we just started bringing in Ogasaka skis from Japan, and I don't know. I went to the South Korean wax cabin, and I saw a bunch of their athletes had Ogasaka skis. So I just said, you know, hey, good morning, chatted with them, and then I turned and I pointed and said, hey, Ogasaka, and you know. They they understood that and uh, that yeah. got, that put a big smile on their face. Like, hey, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Do do any of the um, wax cabins like lock? They don't let you come in. You know, like, dude, if you if you get oh, it, in no, 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 they leave, they leave them on locks. Um, okay. Some some might have like a like a button on the door or whatever. They just ask that you knock before you come in. And and some teams like some teams aren't wearing any masks, and then and then some teams are all masked up yeah. um, to protect from fumes or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, some teams are really, really chatty, and then some teams are very much like in the zone. Um, so it, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, whatever is behind that door, I think it's a really unique experience. Um, not a lot of people get to get to go inside of the Norwegian wax cabin. Yeah, no kidding. Um, which is kind of, you know, you get to see like what are they doing? Like, oh, they're spraying their skis with water before they before they they brush them out or whatever. Or you see. The Slovenians are using paintbrushes to, to use wax remover, like little things like that, which I started doing that recently, and I, and I kind of like it. So I might I might keep doing that using using paintbrushes to, to apply wax remover. Or the Germans, I think they use like chalkboard erasers. I swear they were using like chalkboard erasers to rub on wax remover, and I thought that was really neat. <laughs> okay, well, you, can you make me like a you – know? what, what's the top five list of – yeah, like stuff like that. I, this just this is gold. Everyone listening right uh, now is probably like, like Cedar Quest. Why did you interrupt him? He was gonna say more, but like, yeah, yeah. Focus. I, I want to know. Like, I don't know what it was. Well, so it's. I think the number one thing, and this is like a tip for everyone at home, and um, <laughs> a tip for everyone at home waxing. If you ever see like a video inside of the cabins, or you ever, if you ever get to like go inside of one of these cabins, one of the first things you'll notice is how clean they are. Um, this is like really important, like have a clean waxing space. Um, 
you know, clean up all the dust after you're done scraping. Don't don't leave a mess. Don't have sticky clister tubes. Like everything's very tidy. Um, it's like a like a mobile laboratory. You know, it's a mobile yeah. laboratory. Um, I think, and, and I guess there are a lot of like things that are built into these cabins that make them like super tidy. Like I think it was the Finnish team. They had these hoses hooked up to the wall to their rotor brushes and their irons to like suck up the dust and fumes from from their waxing. Uh, to keep it keep it really tidy, keep it really clean. Um, everything everything is designed to be efficient. Everything is like flows. Um, you know, when when you're going to like let's say U.S. nationals here, and we're put inside of a, a, a rent trailer, um, you know, we're I mean, I, I had the pleasure of working with with Bridger Ski Foundation in, in Montana State, but in that little cabin, there was like six of us in kind of a, a con- contractor trailer, and we were bumping into each other um, like. It, you know, it was hard to move around. Uh, we, there were skis kind of just like like stacked. I mean, very, you know, pretty tidy. If you look on my Instagram, you can see a shot from inside the trailer um, at Jake Hughesby on, on Instagram. If you, I just want to see it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there's my shameless plug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you want to see it, if you want to see like what the inside of that trailer looked like and a stack of skis on the wall. Um, but And so we, you know, we can try and make it an environment where we can like work efficiently and, and keep things clean. But, but it would never be at the level where it's like a designed trailer designed around one thing, and, and that's and that's preparing skis. Um, so, I mean, like, all of all the many things that, that, like, are in the trailers, I think the number one thing is, is cleanliness, efficiency. Um, although I will say one thing, like, walking up some of the stairs on some of the trailers, like, they're kind of slippery. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's one improvement I would make on, like, any of the trailers is, like, having like stairs that aren't slippery <laughs> when they get like cold and icy. I feel like, you know, that seems kind of, you know, I'm not saying it's every team. I'm saying there's probably one or two in there where I was like, okay, I got to be really careful about my footing walking into this trailer. Um, so I don't slip and fall down, yeah. which, which as I mentioned way earlier on, I'm clumsy. Um, I, I think I'm just naturally clumsy. So like if I can fall down, I probably will. <laughs> probably will. <laughs> so, so one improvement that i would have is like i don't know put put down something so i you know it, you know when you're walking in ski boots and and you're going to be walking in ski boots um uh that would be that would be the thing but i mean when um, you see the you know, stuff like the water being sprayed on the skis or something like that i suppose you don't really have or do you have the chance to go dude what are you doing there or man i always thought you're supposed to do it this way like i mean you mentioned you're not speaking the other language. You're already this ignorant Midwest American, but like, do, do you do stuff like that and go, what's the, what's the logic oh, there? Yeah. So the, for the Norwegians there, um, I, I talked to Esko about it a little bit afterwards and yeah, he said, I'm not sure either, but, but, um, a lot of people are familiar with, with applying water when brushing, uh, out powdered skis, mm-hmm. uh, the world. And we can talk about this here. Actually, I mentioned test waxes before, before, and I'll mention, and we can talk about fluoros for a bit. And, and I can nerd out on the F word, you know, <laughs> um, nerd out on the F word. But but I think the, the method of applying water to the skis comes from powdering skis, fluoros. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, I think they were, I want to say they were brushing out like a paraffin. And so they mm-hmm. would hit it with like, uh, they would remove the surface paraffin, then they would clean out the structure, and then they would spray water and then do their fine nylon brushing and in my mind, I think of it like wet sanding, where you're able to get a finer polish um, with the wet sanding versus dry sanding, and and that's kind of what I'm going with. Um, I did try it the following week, wet sanding, wet, I should say wet 
polishing versus dry polishing. And I did, I did feel a difference on the skis and there was a noticeable difference and I wasn't the only one, wasn't the only one who felt a difference. Um, okay. So, so there may be something there that, like, um, but uh, again, nobody, nobody goes in at the beginning of the day knowing what's going to work. Um, and, and testing is very important because, because yeah, nobody knows what's going to work. It, uh, and so having good, uh, process for, for testing is, is going to be number one. Um, hey, you mentioned you wanted to sell stuff too. Like, and, and like, if, if they want your stuff, you're kind of, oh, hey, okay, bring us all this. They're not like paying for it. They're right. You're just like, oh, great. The, uh, you know, the Germans love, um, H28, whatever, you know, like give them a bunch of that stuff. And then is is the selling more like after the event kind of thing where the coach or a wax stick is like, we got to get our hands on that stuff. Okay. Talk to J- Jacob. Um, well, they don't, none of them talk to me, uh, but, <laughs> except, except maybe a little bit more now with, with, uh, team us, I guess, okay. um, because I don't know, I guess, but, but, uh, no, the, the process, I mean, it's, it's kind of like going to a, a ski shop a little bit where you can go and pay in euros or pay by card, like in the trailer, there's oh, a card okay. reader. Although we had a really awkward moment with the Italian Nordic combine team, they're they're very, they're kind of quiet and they're very tall. They're very like they're both like six five. They, they come in and they wanted to buy some wax and we hadn't like gotten fully set up yet. And, yeah. But they needed it like right away. And and so like so I'm getting I'm getting set up and, and Esco is kind of working with the card reader and there was some issue with the card reader and they're just kind of standing looming over us because I'm only like six one. I should just, I say only six one. But, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Esco's a bit a little bit shorter than me and so they're kind of just like standing there kind of very very like you know waiting very patiently but but also like you know uh, they have work to do uh, and so they're they're you know they're kind of uh, uh standing over us waiting and uh yeah so they ended up probably waiting for like 15 minutes and then eventually we were like yeah you know we'll just send you an invoice via email later like this card reader is just not working and then we got it working later that day but and then they beat you up and they took all of the wax right i was i was waiting for that (laughs) no no i mean you know they're perfectly friendly sometimes they'll uh sometimes the techs will even drop off gifts actually we had actually it was um the the head of the uh, the russian tech team stopped by last year um uh first year i was there very like very first day he stops in he says start the boy which which means starts boys um and then percolate percolate which is a, a finished profanity um that is like you know thrown around it's like i don't know it's kind of like our f word we just kind of throw it in places so it <laughs> makes sense like you could you could use this sentence like over and over like you know have it in yeah. every other word and it would make sense um i don't know i was i was watching the finnish news and i heard like percolate like thrown in there um so so yeah the boy and it was very pleasant and then immediately after um, a guy from the Swedish tech team stopped by and dropped off like a whole sleeve of snus. Uh, and it was like for the, the Stark warehouse guys, like good Swedish snus, I guess. Um, huh. It's a little, little lip pillows that they can, they can pop in, um, you know, and yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of them are, are really friendly. A lot of them are really friendly. It's, I mean, uh, at the beginning of the season, I get the vibe that it's like reunion time for a lot of those teams because, they probably see each other year after year. And so the very first event of the year, um, it's like, you know, 
everyone getting to see each other again. Sure. Um, whereas for me, I'm, I'm still very much an outsider because I only go, you know, once a season. I might be going back for latte ski games. Okay. Maybe. Fingers crossed. I'm going to cross my fingers. Uh, I'll be up at Canadian Nordic Nationals uh, in Thunder Bay and then hauling hauling back to Madison and maybe flying out. Maybe. Um, we'll see. We'll see if that, that works out. But Okay. Well, if, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's kind of so. So floral wax uh, and, and test waxes. Um, we, I can maybe briefly touch on this. If you ever, if you ever see me putting up pictures of of waxes with little numbers on them. Yeah. Um, every company has like a whole big list of like waxes that aren't sold that are only available for like teams or on a very limited basis, and and usually we just refer to those as like test waxes or anything. And I'm going to be bringing in a handful of them. Um, I've already brought in a handful of them uh, to the U.S., but I'm going to make them available probably around Berkey time, um, including like new versions of pine tar, a new version of our blue grip wax. It's all grip waxes, I think, at this point. Um, a new replacement for the FHF like grip waxes. So it's, it's going to be a lot of grip waxes that are going to be available. Um, why don't they? Why if they're if those are the good stuff? Why wouldn't you guys sell them to just regular folks? Well, there isn't a lot of money in grip wax. And so, and, and, you know, if you think about it, how much, like you take a can of blue, let's say, um, or even Oslo, like, you know, you can do a lot of skis from a single can of Oslo. And, the, you know, these, some of these cans are only like 10 bucks. Yeah. Um, so, so the reason why, um, you know, the waxes may be more available more on a limited basis is because um, if there's only a handful of them being made, they usually need to have like a sticker, uh, a new sticker applied and like a separate production. Like they need to like change the lines, you know, or they need to, they need to, you know, make the new mix. Um, and, and then when you add more, and this is like business wide, when you add more SKUs, when you add more products, um, it increases complexity. It makes it way more complex for the average skier and more confusing. Like why would we True. need another version of blue? What's wrong with our regular version of blue? Okay. So well, it's, it's a little, it's a little more dark blue. Like yeah, yeah. That, that's it's what I was wondering. Is like, is anyone yeah. on the World Cup? Is anyone on the World Cup then in the wax tray? Like when it comes to grip wax, are they ever using like just the regular blue? You know, or is it like? Oh yeah, they do. Okay, so, okay. So so this is actually kind of a funny thing I learned. Um, well, and, and it's, it goes back to having a uh, process. Um, and and some you know, and I do this often too. I I'll get a new wax in. And I will test it. Not, you know, I, I should say I'm not going to compare myself to any of those guys because I don't, I don't wax for a team uh, yet. Maybe. Sure. Um, maybe I don't know. Uh, uh, but what I will say is, like, I will go out and test on on a matched fleet of skis, and I will apply all the waxes, you know, equally, equal thickness and equal equal zone and everything, and and I'll try some funky combination of like I don't know. Um, like I'll try like our new RCR 80 with with a test version of Oslo or 428A, which is like a new version of, of of red, or or I'll try you know all these different things, and then I'll just try like blue, and and then maybe the blue will just like win, and <laughs> it'll be like, well, what am I even doing, man? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I joke, but sometimes the simple solution turns out to be the best. And, and you'll talk to some of these guys um, and they'll say, yeah, you know, we just went with blue today. 
Like that, yeah. that seems to work fine in, in some conditions. Um, sometimes the simple solution is the best solution. Um, it, it doesn't have to be all that extra complicated. Um, okay. To, well, that's kind as of long encouraging. As, it wins, as long as it wins. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the thing. As long as it's like kicking well and is faster then it doesn't have to be fancy or complicated. It doesn't have to be this funky layering with a cover or, a, you know, a bump or, or any of that other stuff. It could just be blue. I mean, I was kind um, of picturing, like, at the World Cups, though, you know, like all these test whacks that you've got. Like, poor, like, like Andy Gerlach sitting in the back with, like, a boiler mixing up different soups and, like, yeah, we sell these three grip waxes, but every single event we got to have someone, like, mix up the concoction and try it out with different teams. I mean, it's not quite like that, probably, but, like, I guess it, it does that make sense where it's, like, you've got all these, like, in-between waxes with all these crazy digits and those are just kind of, yeah, test wax that exists on the circuit, really? Like, like who's making those? Well, um, and again, Is there I'll speak a start the, kitchen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of, you're, you're cooking up waxes. Yeah. Um, well, like, don't try this at home kids. And I'll, I'll speak on the industry side of things. Cause again, I, I don't, I haven't worked with, with any of the national teams, yeah. um, but they, they, you know, get their, their waxes from suppliers. And I'm sure there are some teams that are making pre-mixes. Uh, they'll, they'll take like three waxes and mix them one, to, one part to one part to one part. I know the start guys do that. They have one wax that's just called one 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 because it's one part of one thing, one part of another thing, and one part of another thing. Oh, nice. and, okay. You know, it's and yeah, there will be some some guys that that make their own premixes. But when it comes to the, the start guys, um, they're able to make they're able to make like one offs or test batches, and then for the domestic racing service in Finland, um, they will go around and and try their their new waxes or the new combinations, or even after work they will go and. Uh, or during the day, they will go and, and try their new combinations and see, well, how is this working? How is this working? And then the waxes that win during the week, then they'll try it on um, on the weekend. And then, you know, wins on Sunday, sells on Monday. Uh, and so so they will they'll go and try try new combinations. It's actually kind of interesting, uh, this, this kind of resurgence of the new new grip waxes. Um, for a while, Start hadn't been producing new test grip waxes or haven't really been testing them. Until I paid them a visit last year, and I and I asked them like, "Hey, can we get some new synthetic red?" Because th- there's actually kind of a funny story. I have a can of this synthetic red sitting on my desk here, and it's the last one I think that belongs to me because I've given all the all the rest of them away. Um, it's a wax that that a handful of like really nerdy techs know about. That um, every once in a while I'll get someone who asks me, "Hey, do you have any red? Any synthetic red?" And and I'll say, you know, oh, you, you've been you've been working with the stuff for a while um, because it's a good wax. But the reason why it wasn't made anymore was because the start guys like just ran out of the ingredient and couldn't get any more of it at like a level where it was affordable. And I said, well, you know, is there any chance we could like try and make a like try and remake it somehow? And they said, well, you know, there isn't a lot of money in grip waxes. I don't know if we can do it. And then I come back the next year, and they had four different versions for me to try and take back. So I'm like, okay, they're working on it. Interesting. Uh, they're working on it. So I brought yeah. them back, and I've been trying them. And the initially, like, 4290 was, like, the winner. But then 4288 has been, like, running a little bit better. I think it's been working more true to the original. 
but we'll see. We'll see what they decide. We'll see. You know, I've been I've been talking to them about it. Um, so so like they aren't ne- they aren't necessarily like cooking up wax in the cabin itself, but they will they will make new waxes and they will make premixes on a limited basis if they believe like you know it'll sell. But but a lot of these waxes I don't think we'll ever see store shelves for the most part with limited with like exception for maybe us in the U.S. where um, I might. I might ask to bring them in sure. on a limited basis for for funsies, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and if they sell well, then we'll bring in more. Um, because the main complaint that people already have with us is that uh, the, there's too many waxes. There's too many like between like a basic synthetic waxes, Turva and Oslo. That's already too confusing for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, which I'm like, that's you know, all right. <laughs> well, I, and I, I'm kind of, I, you know, it's interesting you talked about grip all the time because I'm definitely like the keep keep it simple. Out in Colorado, it's easy. So like for me, if if, there you go. <laughs> if if the, if the VR40 doesn't work for a blue day, double pull, and and if it's warm and you really want to kick, and like one of the T line waxes doesn't work then just give up. It's just stupid. You should be double pulling or skate skiing. And I just I, like, cause I can get away with that almost any day, you know, like it's so easy to wax. So, and I do mostly double pull, but I am curious mm-hmm. about like glide, you know, and, and I know we've taken a lot of time. So do you, do you have more time to, do you want to talk a little bit about glide this wax? Is, or do you, mean, you got, this is do, my job. I'll, I can talk all day. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, one thing I just want to kick off, I guess is yeah, the big, the big discussion, it's about floral free and all that. And I'm curious, like, when I look at any website, you know, and it's here's our floral free race wax, and Swigs has got some, and and yeah, we're we're buying these things. Obviously, this isn't on the World Cup, right? They're still using like really, they're still using floros, I think. But what what could you say to someone about like how do these waxes perform? How can they be as good? Are they as good? You know, and if they are, like, what's what's in them? Why weren't we always doing it like this? Or is it? Or is it more a thing of like every brand's gonna go floral free and it's gonna be not quite as good, but since every brand's doing it, it's kind of fair. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I'll approach this question from from a different angle, um, and and kind of look at the global perspective on fluoro use and where we're at, sure, like globally. Um, the U.S. Ha- has kind of like taken the charge on going floor free, um, and I, I I do think that's a good thing long term. Um, but that being said, the, the Europe is still like all on floor as far as I know. Um, and, and I'll talk to the start guys and say, yeah, they, I mean, the guys in Europe, you know, the, the buyers over there will want, want fluoro because that's what they're used to. For the most part, it's what they're used to. Um, and so they're going to stick to what they know and stick to that. Whether or not uh, floral waxes are faster than non-floral waxes, I think it, depends for the most part yeah i would think floral waxes are going to be faster because it's really hard to beat chemistry yeah um yeah, yeah. floral carbons floral carbons are are really good at what they do and and they're really good at repelling dirt and they're really good at repelling moisture and when you're gliding on that thin film of water you want something that's going to be repelling a lot of moisture um uh, and the florals are so good in fact that they make up for they can make up for bad skis and they can make up for for like maybe not hitting the grind or hitting the structure or not having the best skis for the day. Like that's how, that's how good they are. They kind of equalize the differences between, between skis. Um, and so, and so like when we talk about the floros and we talk about who's using them, um, 
that's that's kind of like are they better most likely yeah i would say certainly with with some limited exception um i think in like the coldest driest conditions um fluoros fluoros are going to have more of a, a, a less of an impact um whereas with the new stuff the new stuff has been shown to perform better in some drier colder conditions but but again it's hard to beat chemistry it's hard to beat chemistry um so so yeah that, that being said you know it used to be if yeah if you're if you're shopping online too and you see hf versus lf versus ch and, and the prices are all different like even the difference between an lf a low floral versus a high floral you know slab of glide wax you're like oh okay i understand why the hf is a hundred dollars more because it's got more fluorocarbons in it or a higher percentage or whatever but like these ones that are non-floral, like even for you guys too, the start, the ultra race first, just the race, um, you know, like, can you talk about like what makes that ultra that much better or that much more expensive, that much more valuable? Is there, is it like a certain ingredient that's in it? Uh, is it, does it have to do with how it's made? What's kind of the difference between those like super high end ones, the ultra level versus a race one? And, and, it, and is it like even necessary too? you know, depending, obviously Athletes of the Super Tour at NCAA, they want every advantage possible. But, like, you know, for those guys in the Wave 1 of the Berkey or whatever, like, are they going to be, oh, crap, yeah, I didn't I didn't use Ultra. I just have Race, so I'm screwed. <laughs> you know? Like... Yeah, I mean, it, it goes – it's the eternal question. Is more expensive, more better? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it depends who you ask. Um, what What's the difference between uh, the basic wax and the most expensive wax? It's the – additive compounds that are being used in the wax. Uh, the top end waxes and the lowest end waxes are all based on the same base paraffin. So you take like the $100 green RG Ultra Green versus the $20 green SG Green, um, and it's it uses the same base wax. It's, it uses the same base paraffin. Okay. What the difference is is the additives that are being added to the wax to improve its performance. In this case, with the new stuff, it's a ceramic. It's actually a, a, a rare earth oxide ceramic that's being added to the wax. Um, and so when you compare like the $100 wax versus the $50 wax, you're getting more additive versus less additive. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the, really, that's it. Um, okay. Okay. Do you need the most expensive wax to have a good day on snow? Uh, well, no. Uh, at, Senior nationals, um, the winner of the test was uh, in all the different all the different waxes that I tried was actually our RG Race Molly Disulfide, uh, which is the mid-range Molly Disulfide. We don't actually have a an RG Ultra Molly Disulfide. We only have a fifty-dollar one. That's where it tops out, and that was the winner of the test. It beat out the hundred-dollar green. So in that case, more expensive was not more better. Why? Because black waxes were testing well. And, and I'm sure if you ask a bunch of teams from, from uh, earlier, early days during the week, um, what, what waxes and, and top coatings were they running? Um, we, found that, we found that black waxes were running well. And in our case, uh, in the case of Start, the RG race molybdenum uh, was running best, which I could, I don't know. Have you worked with Molly Disulfide and Wax? No, I, yeah, I, was, I, I had to like go back to this page because this is one of like the base prep ones, right? It's This is with the category with... Well, this... it's sold under base prep, yeah, okay. but uh, it's not. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a mis, um, it's mislabeled uh, because you, sure. you use it as a racing wax. Molly Disulfide 
is a solid lubricant, meaning it can lubricate in the absence of moisture. When we're gliding on snow, it's a thin layer of water, but when there isn't water, um, we can use molydisulfide uh, uh, to to help gliding performance. So is in that? Fact, but that's the molybdenum one. Like when you say molly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Keep molybdenum, going. Molybdenum, molydisulfide. Uh, yeah, I, I'll use the term the terms interchangeably. If I'm having a day where like I just can't speak good words, uh, <laughs> like I can't speak English, you know, I just like we'll just say molly. Um, you can think of like a deck of cards. If you're pressing down on the top of the deck of cards, they aren't going to move or anything. They aren't going to slide apart. But as soon as you start moving your hand on the top card of that deck back and forth, the cards start to slip apart, you know? That's basically how a molydisulfide molecule works. And so when the, when the molly interacts with dirt in the snow, it actually, it actually shears apart. It actually is a dry shearing that happens. And so what was found, interestingly enough, at the beginning of the test, the molly disulfide waxes were losing to basic, the, the more like normal basic paraffins with the additives. Um, the black waxes were were not winning, but then um, at the end of they uh, so did a test and then skied a 5k and then retested. The molly disulfide waxes were much faster, and so uh, in that endurance test, it was shown that dirt was accumulating on the skis, and so you wanted something in the wax to prevent the dirt from accumulating on the bottom of the ski, uh, which you think Houghton, it's like, it's in the, the upper peninsula, yeah. you know, even when the weather report says it's not going to snow, it's going to snow. Uh, but, but the snow was still dirty enough for that to have an impact within five kilometers of skiing. Dude. Oh, so, oh my gosh. Yeah. This has, I have so many follow-up comments to this now. First of all, molybdenum. Um, should this is this the official wax of Leadville? We have the Climax molybdenum mine here. Obviously, like this would be a big deal. Should I be order? I'm. I already as you were talking there, I was putting it in my cart. Like I need to buy this. That's my first comment. Just wanted to let you know that. Like maybe we yeah, need to make a sponsor. Right. But, but the second thing well, is, well, yes, yeah, I got to put gas in my Subaru, man. So yeah. much wax is, you know. <laughs> but but like but I mean it, the other thing is like yeah is that something then that you almost because my when I watch videos maybe I'm all off here this too but like the graphite thing if I had it like I'd always I always use that right I I, I put on my ski scrape it and a few you know several days before my race maybe just so i have that graphite layer on and then you put on your glibax of the day maybe that's not standard practice but like is this something where like hey maybe i should try out the same thing only use the molybdenum or is that kind of like no no you just for a random race if it's gonna be in dirty snow maybe just like use that as your glide like your paraffin <laughs> yeah i got you well so we use we use different different waxes for different different conditions yeah yeah um uh, what I, that's kind of a broad statement. Let me let me narrow it down a little bit. We have a graphite wax and a molybdenum wax, and these are both considered black waxes. And so when okay. I say black waxes, I, I it's not really all that descriptive. I'm going to be honest. Um, and so to clarify, um, the the molly disulfide works as a superior uh, solid lubricant when compared to graphite because it shears a bit easier. The purpose of using graphite in the ski wax is actually as an anti-static, and so right. you can think of. Um, I, I, I want. I don't want to get the. I don't want to get all the engineers mad at me or all the phys, you know physicists because I. Uh, <laughs> I studied economics in, in college. I didn't study chemistry, so <laughs> I don't don't get mad at me. Um, but but basically, uh, when you when you rub skis on snow, there there's an exchange of electrons going on. When s- snow falls from the sky, it's 
positively charged and you take these positively charged snow crystals and, and you take a plastic ski base, which can act as an insulator and you rub it on the rub them on the, the positively charged snow. It's kind of like taking your socks and rubbing them on a, like nylon, like plastic socks, nylon socks. Right. I don't like on plastic socks a nylon socks and you rub them on carpet to get a static charge it's like taking your plastic ski bases and rubbing them on on those those pointy snow crystals and that 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 exchange actually slows you down that static actually slows you down and so typically when we're gliding on snow there's enough water there's enough moisture there to dissipate the excess static that's accumulated uh from from that exchange uh, but in colder, drier conditions, there isn't enough moisture to dissipate that static. And so the purpose of the graphite additive is actually to dissipate that static um, from that uh, from the electrons, the electron exchange that's going on there. Uh, and, and please, the, the uh, don't don't the police. Uh, uh, what's the, the chemistry <laughs> police? Don't. Don't freak out on me. Um, the stuff works. Well, <laughs> stuff and that's works. that's why I, I thought I might like mess up the terminology. I might mess up the terminology. I actually have an article that I wrote on this. Okay. Um, and I have an article that I wrote on Molly like two years ago, that like I I I, I fact checked it. Um, so if I if I say it incorrectly here, please read the article and make sure I'm I'm also wrong there. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> before emailing me. I remember <laughs> it kind of looking at doing. I think that's why I put graphite in. You know, I use graphite a lot out here because we do have a lot of dry snow. And, and a lot of times, yeah, you're getting fresh snow the night before. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, like fresh snow and then eight degrees at the start of the race. Well, graphite's... I mean, in Colorado, your snow is also much drier. That, know, that's much what I mean. drier snow out there. Yeah, so I would think the graphite would be the pick over the molybdenum one. No? Yeah, actually, we sell more graphite to Colorado than I think for the rest of the country. Yeah. Um because you guys have dry snow. So yes, please continue using graphite. I don't want to lead you astray. Um, I really want the molybdenum though. Graphite also, also acts as a solid lubricant. So like yeah. in the absence of moisture, the graphite will also help prevent a little, you know, a bit of dirt accumulation. Um, but but Molly, Molly is a, a better at preventing the accumulation of dirt. But but when it when it comes to most black waxes, they don't say exactly what's in it. I I don't know another brand that just like says on the tin what what is in their black wax um yeah. so that's kind of like a lot of it like i know like i think of like the swiss black wolf you know what is yeah. what's it what makes it black is it molly is it graphite is it magic i don't know um, <laughs> is, is it magic well so interesting the most interesting use case for our black waxes was actually for a while we sold this product called mg10 okay. which was magic 10 it was start green mixed with molly disulfide for ski jumpers the ski jumpers, they'd wax their boards up, and then they'd leave the wax on. They wouldn't scrape it off. And in summertime, they would jump on that okay. because it would last a good couple runs, and the molly disulfide would help them glide a bit. But some clubs have just switched back to using blue because it's simpler. You know, It's easier to recommend to families. Just use blue. Yeah, use yeah. Blue. But then we still have some guys that are like, hey, do you still make MG10? And, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, yeah, we, we still have a couple bars kicking around here, I think. I mean, I was just really hoping that I could get the Climax Molybdenum sponsorship, maybe, but I don't think I really have an explanation to go, oh, yeah, and all this dry Colorado snow, actually, we're going to have to go with graphite. And then, you know, they would, the engineers up there would be looking at me like, we don't know what you're talking about. But, I mean, anyway, uh, that's, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's I could, interesting. I could, I could mislabel some Molly packaging or some yes. graphite to say Molly on it. Yes. Or I'll just take a Sharpie marker and, and mark out. <laughs> 
and mark out the graphite wax so it says Molly on it. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. go. There you go. Um, Molly. There you go. <laughs> is there is there anything? Um, oh, gee, like as as far as wax goes or wax tools or products you guys are kind of selling right now that kind of gets you excited or you've tested out or like something that's like just working really well i mean obviously we're at houghton here so you you kind of explain some of the things that were working well there but yeah is there and, and maybe it's I, obviously it's probably regional based you know like hey yeah for you those of you guys in colorado this might be if you're gonna buy one or two glide waxes this is the one you should get if you're in minnesota you're going to do the same thing. Obviously, you want it as diverse as possible. But, yeah, sorry, that's like four questions in one. I guess, like, yeah, I've got to – No, kinda... no, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Uh, well, so, I mean, we sell a lot more than wax. Right, 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 uh, right. If I were, if I were to uh, sell you on something, it'd be an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, – the business, the business has changed over a couple of years here. With the addition of many, many more brands, if there are any, like, retailers listening to this – you know, if, if you work in the bike and ski industry, you're familiar with QBP, quality bicycle products. Um, we have this idea that, that you know, in QBP, they, a bike shop is able to go to them and, and like, buy anything. You can buy, you know, nuts and bolts to tools to, like, specific parts to whole bikes. For us, like, we enjoy winter.com. We're aiming to be, like, the one-stop shop for shops to go get their equipment. Can people buy direct from us? Yeah, sure. We work with a handful of clubs as well, but the majority of our business and the focus of our business is still selling to retailers. And so if there are retailers in Colorado that that want to simplify their supply chain, um, our big idea is working with companies that, that make their own gear. So Peltonon makes their own skis and they make them all in one building. Start makes their own wax. They make it all in one building. Blizz really just does eyewear and helmets um working with companies that do one thing and do it really well kinetics makes gloves like a lot of really really neat things going on there um so working with companies that do one thing and do it really well instead of like one company that tries to do everything at once um which which i guess kind of sounds like us but (laughs) which kind of sounds like us um but if i were to recommend if i were to recommend a handful of waxes like i get i get people come up say jacob i'm brand new to start i don't i don't know what to you know i want to try it um what do i do uh i'll I'll make a couple recommendations um and, and there's kind of a joke i make about start waxes is the harder it is to apply the better the waxes um so uh i'll just i'll just rattle some off here start oslo if you don't know the tricks for applying start oslo grip wax it can be a pain in the ass (laughs) (laughs) it can be a pain it could be a big goopy mess and and then you feel like a sucker because but but if you if you know the trick to apply it um uh, where you tap and twist the can on the the base of the ski uh the wax is good it's a good wax it's actually been out of the start catalog for five years now technically and so it's technically a World Cup wax. Hey, there you go. Yeah. If you want to feel cool and special, uh, it's a technically, it's, it's not in the catalog anymore. It says Oslo nowhere on the packaging, uh, but everyone calls it Oslo, and, and now we call it Oslo. Uh, I have a can of it actually in my hand here, sitting next to the synthetic red. Wow. Um, it comes in three flavors, uh, uh, green, blue, and uh, violet, and uh, the violet can be mixed with our next pick, Universal Wide Clister. It's like the best one of the best universal one of the best clusters full stop um and and it belongs in everyone's wax box universal wide or as the packaging now just says wide it just says wide on it which is i think kind of fun because like yeah you can just call it wide and 
and uh, you know when I think of universal cluster, I think of I think of start uni wide. Um, and that's all. You know, it's not that bad to apply actually, but it's still a great wax. So maybe it doesn't follow the rule. Uh, base wax extra, our grip wax base wax extra. It's basically rubber mixed with cluster, but like. I see a lot of folks are using the Vauti Super Base. If you happen to be using Super Base, perhaps consider trying it against Start Base Wax Extra. It's another one that's a real pain in the butt to apply, but if you rub it on your kick iron and then rub it on the ski, um, it's it's awesome. I, I like it quite a bit. Sometimes, even in rare conditions, I will just apply two layers of that like like thin thin medium and iron that on and just kick on that, um, and it's it's kind of nice. Um, then the RG waxes, uh, if you were to grab one wax, grab our green. That's, I mean, Stark Green has gone by many names throughout the years. In fact, here's a, a Cedar Skier exclusive. Uh, uh, Stark Green was originally called WM Super. It was called WM Super, and then it's gone by many names, like SG10, um, and now it's just SG Green. And now it's just SG Green. SG well, for a while, it was like SG8, and then it became SG10, and then it turned into SG Green. Um, which stands for start glider green. So that's what SG stands for. Okay. Uh, there you go. There you go. Do we need uh, that, that one's also cold. a pain to apply because it like takes forever to brush out and scrape if like you're not working in a hurry or if you're not working with a purpose, you know, if you're kind of goofing around, it takes a bit, but, um, just keep your scrapers sharp, start with a stiff horse hairbrush and, and you'll get through, you'll make it. You'll make yeah. It. Yeah. I was uh, going to ask you a basic thing on that. Like brushes, it's scrape. And then when you got a brush system, what do you do for a basic brush system? Like if you've got a steel brush and a horsehair brush and maybe the, the polishing last one, does it go, you know, steel horsehair polishing or is it, I, I feel like that's one thing I've heard conflicting things where some people like you, they use the horsehair first and then a steel brush. Like what, what's the logic there? You know, uh, I'm going to take a step back on the, I, I think brushing is really interesting and I don't think it gets enough love. But then I also think when most people talk about brushes, the conversation goes in all sorts of weird directions. Like if someone starts messaging, like mentioning specific number of brush strokes, how many strokes they take with a brush, I, I, my eyes glaze over and I, my eyes roll into the back of my head. Uh, <laughs> run because, far well, from like, them. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying run far from them. I'm saying it, it's, it's kind of losing the forest for the trees a little bit because we okay. have to think about what we're trying to accomplish when we're brushing a pair of skis. Um, and, and so like imagine I were teaching someone how to like wash a plate, you know, like I'm, I'm standing over my sink. Like, you know, I, I haven't owned a dishwasher for like six years now. Um, so I, I hand wash all my own dishes, you know, yeah. and, and imagine me telling someone, okay, first you put the Dawn dish soap on the sponge and then you take three swipes with the sponge and then you put the dish in the rack. Like, no, that's, that's insane because like there would still be food probably on the plate or, or it would be unnecessary or like, no, it's not, you know, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So when we talk about brushing and we're talking about being prescriptive um, for our brushing, I, I, I'd rather explain like why we're doing it in the first place and what we're trying to accomplish and then be descriptive of like, how can we accomplish that? And there are a lot of ways to skin a cat, so to speak. There are a lot of ways to, to accomplish what we're trying to do. And there's no one best way to do it. So... When we apply wax to a pair of skis, we're actually, um, we're, we're, we are, are melting wax onto the ski and it's actually changing the hardness of the plastic. It's just fancy plastic that we're gliding on. Technically a high molecular weight polyethylene plastic. 
um, fancy plastic that we are gliding on. And so when we apply different hardnesses of wax, colder waxes are harder to create more moisture. Softer waxes are for warmer conditions. Uh, you're, you're actually changing the hardness of the base. You're actually changing the hardness of the base a, a little bit and, and changing how the, uh, um, and when you, when you brush and scrape a ski, you're, you're accomplishing a couple of things. You're actually removing paraffin from the surface of the ski. You're actually removing paraffin from the fine grooves in the ski, uh, a ski either cut or pressed in. Usually we just call them grinds and hand structures. And then you're polishing, you're doing your finishing polishing. And there are a lot of ways to accomplish these three tasks, surface paraffin, structure paraffin, and then fine polishing. The surface, you can either remove that with like a stiff horsehair brush, which can be used in a scrubbing motion because the bristles don't stick to like one side. I usually like, we'll use like a stiff non-metallic brush to kind of scrub it. Um, after scraping, of course, I should say, you first scrape the ski to remove as much like surface paraffin as you can um, that'll get most of the paraffin off the surface of the ski if you have sharp scrapers uh, and, a, and a good groove scraper. Um, then you hit it with a, uh, uh, like a natural fiber brush or even a, like a super stiff nylon that will even remove uh, some surface paraffin. You want to hit it within a scrubbing motion back and forth. That's fine. I, you know, when it comes to using a brush tip to tail, I only recommend, I only see that as necessary for metal brushes um, metal brushes are good for cleaning out the structure specifically i like to use a fine steel brush um, with some limited exception like if it's really really cold i don't want to add additional structure to the ski maybe um, and so i might i might you know brush a little bit differently but but you know day-to-day -day workhorse brushing my skis i will use a stiff black nylon brush to scrub off surface paraffin. I will then hit it with an ultra fine nylon brush, not nylon, sorry, uh, a fine steel brush to clean up the structure. And then I will finish it with an ultra stiff uh, 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 nylon brush to scrub it. So horsehair, fine steel, nylon, uh, surface paraffin, structure paraffin, polishing, go ski. Um, whoa, 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 say that one more time again. <laughs> yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. Um, so you start with the, the horsehair, stiff horsehair. Yeah. And then you go to the fine steel, steel, ultra fine steel, which we sell the fine steel. It's like $130, I think, for a brush. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, kind of a hard one, hard pill to swallow. Um, what I will say about that brush versus like a lot of the copper brushes or the bronze brushes I notice a lot of the less expensive brushes, they kind of like the bristles kind of bend and flatten over time a little bit. And, and when the bristles like get bent in funny directions, it increases the likelihood that they could like gouge the ski base. Right. Um, or like they'll only last a season of like continuous use. Um, although I'm, I'm probably on the higher end of, of users, uh, for, for brushes. Uh, I generally prefer to hand brush rather than rotor brush. Um, unless I'm in a huge hurry or I have many, many skis to do, but even then I'll still probably hand brush because I, it's just as fast. I don't need lug around batteries with me. Um, huh. Interesting. hot take, hot take. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, so, so the, the, the horsehair followed by the ultra fine steel, the ultra fine steel, I've been using the same ultra fine steel. I'll clean it with an air compressor, um, and, and make sure I use it in the same direction each time. But that one brush, you know, is, is going on three and a half years strong and it's looking brand new. Interesting. So wow, yeah. like 
it's kind of like that old story of the man in the boots, you know, or buying a pair of work boots. Like, if you buy a cheap pair of work boots, they're going to last you one year. If you buy a good pair of work boots, they'll last you a couple of years. Um, saying as a guy, I'm wearing a Carhartt shirt right now, but also, like, I, I sell ski wax. So, like, you know, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, but, like, a good pair of boots, uh, they're going to last you a long time. Um, well, a good you, brush is going to last you a long time. You mentioned cleaning it. I was I, I was going to follow up there with the steel brush. Like, I think some people really do ignore that. You said you clean it with an air compressor? How does that work? Well, so, like, when you're brushing out a pair of skis, the brushes get all dusty. Right. Um, I, I don't like that. No. I happen to own an air compressor at home. So, like, if I have, like, an extra couple minutes before I head out, I'll, I'll roll my toolbox in. I'll spray my brushes into the trash can um, just to clean them up a little bit. I like I like keeping my tools clean. Um, that's that's just me. Um, is it completely necessary? Well, no, but also I've seen some really like messy brushes that are like you know I don't know. There's some grip wax stuck to the back of the brush, and like there's powder all over it, and 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 you get a bunch of old wax old wax dust and old old material. Um, various things from from those brushes traveling around if we're talking about trying to keep our skis clean and we apply glide cleaners and we're doing all this work to like try and make our skis like fast and, and trying to keep a clean environment having a dirty set of brushes that we're putting on the set on the skis um is kind of counterintuitive I that's think. what i thought yeah well that's what i, I was wondering i was like yeah. it seems like it almost is essential because like yeah couldn't you you're like you're brushing, you're trying to brush out stuff, and you're, like, probably just, like, putting dirty, random stuff from three weeks I ago. Don't I don't know. If that you know, it's not like I've, <laughs> I... I it, part of it, like, a lot of things, a lot of things just give you the warm, fuzzy feeling you get. Like, it just... <laughs> cleaning cleaning your cleaning my brushes is kind of satisfying. There you go. Because then I have, like, a nice, fresh set of brushes to work with next time I'm, like, next time I'm working. Um, I think it's just good habit to keep your tools clean. That, you know, I don't think that's a controversial opinion to have. Right. Um, it's just good, good practice. And then keeping your sharp, uh, scrapers sharpened and, and keeping your batteries charged and like, you know, having, having your gear in good working condition, um, wherever you go, um, wherever you go. Um, so then, and then after the fine steel, then you finish up with the nylon to, to polish it and, 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 you know, maybe a little spritzer bottle, who knows, uh, maybe a little <laughs> spritzer bottle to go with that fine nylon. I don't, I, you know, I'm not saying it. But I, you know, it's a, you know, you could try it. Maybe, maybe you'll find it's the, it's the secret, it's the cure. Um, <laughs> you know, it'll make your skis faster in, I don't know, some specific condition. There's, um, there's so much stuff that we could talk about. I'm just like, I, I want to keep you on the phone forever. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cedar Skier Podcast. If you liked it, tell someone about it because we only have like seven listeners right now. We want to grow the base. And if I'm going to feed my two children, we're going to need that ad revenue. Um, just kidding. But for real, thank you for listening and supporting and enjoying the show. And if you have any questions or comments, reach out via email, cedarskier at gmail.com. We'd love to read your questions, your comments, your complaints, your concerns on our next show. So uh, as we head out here today, I, I guess I'll just close up by saying, hey, keep on striving, keep on skiing.